Hey, if you don't, don't know me, my name is Josh, and I serve as the lead pastor here. That's to everyone here, but also to anyone that may be watching or listening in later. Uh, I want to start this morning, like I oftentimes do, with a story. And while many of us have likely heard the name John Calvin or maybe the name Martin Luther, uh, names that loom large in the Christian faith as uh, ref- those that uh, reformed the church and, and wanted to bring a renewed emphasis on Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, long before their pens uh, wrote a single word uh, trying to correct a Catholic church that had lost its way, a Czech priest named John Huss had laid down the groundwork and had laid down his life for much of their efforts. Uh, Born in the late 14th century to a peasant family, he took the name uh, of the town that he grew up in, which was uh, Husinic. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, those of you of German or Czech descent can correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, but many believe that he like, took that name out of the single reality that he didn't know his father very well, if at all. And as a result, just adopted the last name of the town to represent where he was from. At the age of 10, for unknown reasons, though, Huss was sent to live in a monastery in Prague. And it's there that he began to absolutely shine. His intellectual uh, I think just just fervor came out and he started to devour books and to display a true acumen uh, for philosophy, abstract thinking, theology. It wasn't uh, too long after that that he was, uh, as a devoted academic and, and theological student, he would later attend the University of Prague. And there at the University of Prague, he would get a bachelor's and a master's degree, becoming an ordained priest in the church, a professor, and eventually the rector of the entire university. However, Uh, To Huss, something never quite seemed right. A devoted interpreter of scripture, he often found himself um, very much so finding and accepting and feeling connected to the truth in the words of John Wycliffe, an English priest who often criticized the wealth and comfort of clergy in his day. He later defended Wycliffe, denouncing indulgences, a spiritually deceitful practice of the time but was also the means by which a lot of priests gained their wealth and their comfort. As a result, uh, Huss was exiled from the church, and the churches in Prague were banned from allowing him to speak at all. By this time, his message had spread through much of Prague, uh, being accepted and really being uh, adopted in terms of its criticism of the church to the point that as a result of his exile and a result of his banning, uh, people rioted in the streets of Prague. I'm pretty sure if I was just not preaching one Sunday, y'all wouldn't be like, I'm taken to the streets. But you know what? I, I can, one can only hope. Um, to protect those he loved, seeing the tension in the streets, uh, and to, to really protect the city that he'd grown to adore, Huss, shortly after that, left the city of Prague and entered into the countryside uh, to continue writing and speaking against the hypocrisies of the local church. In 1414, however, under the promise of safe conduct, under the promise of saying, hey, you're going to be treated fairly, Huss was invited to something called the Council of Constance. And under that promise, he was nearly instantly arrested for heresy, and, and as a result, later condemned of death, condemned to death. And on July 6, 1415, John Huss was burned at the stake. You know, that took a sharp turn. In the aftermath of his death, 
One line from his writing would function as a rallying cry for all those who desired for the church of Christ to be restored. And it was this, that it's better to die well than to live poorly. It's better to die well than to live poorly. Why am I telling you this? Well, today marks the beginning of Advent. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Uh, Advent, literally meaning arrival, is the season leading up to Christmas uh, where Christians prepare our hearts to celebrate the arrival of Christ. And while the Christmas season is often marked by like the joyous sounds of jingle bell rock and that warm feeling of uh, a hot drink by a warm fire and that really incredible a beautiful vision when like kids have awe in their eyes as they're looking at the lights everywhere. While that's usually what Christmas preparation feels like in our lives, Advent is often meant to be a bit different. Advent is not necessarily about jingle bell rock. Uh, it, it, it's not even even a, you know really about some of the Christian songs that we sing <coughs> during Christmas. Rather, it's meant to invite us into the realities of the world. Like us, it's meant to remind us that something doesn't quite seem right oftentimes. And in that realization, whatever it is for you, that, that during this season and every other season, but particularly during this season, when it feels like joy and, and really happiness is everywhere around you, but somehow whatever the realization in your mind, in your heart, in your life that leads you to that place where your heart doesn't align with the joy and the glee and the happiness around you, in that realization, this season is meant to, uh, is meant to call us to continue to start or even to come back to a longing that says you, oh God, only you can make this right. Whatever that thing is for you, this season is where we come back, increase or even start to really understand that feeling. You, oh God, only you can make this right. And from there to align, and again, if, if this is, you're not, if you're not here, that's okay, but, but even to realign our lives with the vision God has to to make what's dark in this world into something beautiful. And in that way, to, to kind of really change the words of Huss from uh, it, it's better to die well than to live poorly into it's better to die well and to live poorly and probably just to live well also. We just, we want to also live well. Today we're starting uh, our Advent time with uh, two verses that have historically been used as the opening verses to Advent. And the verses that, that are meant to draw our attention to the realization, again, and the longing that you, only you, God, can make right what we see in our world. You, only you, can make right the weight that I feel in my heart. And so if you can, uh, out of respect, if you would stand uh, with us, we're going to read these two verses. And then from there, I want to invite you into uh, that historic saying that we try to implement every week, the uh, this is the word of the Lord, and you are invited to reply with thanks be to God. But I'm going to read two chunks of scripture. The first is Isaiah 64, 1 through 3, and the second one we're going to read from Mark 13. Uh, feel free to read along. If not, feel free to just join in afterwards uh, if you choose. Isaiah 64, 1 through 3 says this, If only you would tear the heavens open and come down so that mountains would quake at your presence, just as fire kindles brushwood, and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that nations would tremble at your presence when you did awesome works that we did not expect. 
you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. Now we'll go to Mark 13, 32 through 37, which reads like this. Now, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight, or at the, crowning, uh, the crowing house, at the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can have a seat. If only you would tear the heavens open and come down. Isaiah 64 opens with words that often mark the worst moments of our lives. From as light as a devoted sports fan that says, if only he had made that shot, we'd have won the championship. To the most heart-wrenching moments, like if only I had stopped him from getting in that car, he'd still be here. No matter how severe, no matter where on the spectrum we are in whatever pain we feel, if only often stands at the entrance to some of the most painful experiences in our lives. For Isaiah, if only, stands at the entrance of his people's failure. After years of disobedience to God, God had given the Israelites over to the consequences of their sin. Exiled from their land, they were now an unfaithful people without a home. And if you were from the outside looking in, they looked like an unfaithful people without a home and without a God. And in Isaiah's response, he utters those painful words. If only. If only you would come down. If only you would have done what you've done before. If only you would shake our hearts awake out of this slumber that we are in. If only you could show your, our oppressors your strength. If only you could deliver us one last time. If only. Like Isaiah, these are words that stand at the entrance of our pain. Right? Whether for yourself or for someone else. Right? We too often find ourselves saying, if only you would come down. I just think about what our world looks like when you look up from Sunday service, when you look away from your nine to five, when you take your head out of uh, a book, when you uh, set time aside to just observe the world around you. What do we see? What do you see? What do I see? Images of Palestinians surrounded by rubble, searching for their families, crying out in fear. We look at pictures of Israeli prisoners and their families holding vigils and prayer services, hoping to find them. We see victims of mass shootings, pictures of children surrounded by flowers and candles with weeping families surrounding them in front of schools. We see men and women that were once full of promise living on the corner of this and that street because they are near completely enslaved 
to a drug that they pursued really just because they were looking for something to fulfill what was empty in their hearts. We see pictures of loved ones with bald heads wrestling against an incredibly horrible disease. We see young black men shot by police, immigrant families held in cages at a border, young white men taking their life in increasing number in response to a world that blames them, but a world that they didn't build. We see trans people in tears after another member of their community has taken their own life. We see good police officers who are serving and love the communities they serve killed in broad daylight. Something like that just happened in, on Westgate, not far from here, just a few weeks ago. We see a mother, single mother, stressed, trying to provide and make a way in their home, wanting nothing more than to give their children the world when it feels like the world around them is completely breaking. If only you would come. If only you would tear the heavens open and come. If only you would show the oppressors justice. If only you would come and make what's wrong right. In the words of the saints of old, Jesus, Lord, come quickly. Some of y'all may have heard that or remember that phrase, Jesus, come quickly. And hear me, I don't know why he hasn't returned yet. I don't. I don't know why, like Isaiah, we're left uttering in the silence oftentimes of our tears, if only. Those are questions that are, are challenging and, and that are probably best addressed not with not too much certainty, if I'm being honest, but also probably best addressed not in this context. There are also questions that in the correct context I may not have the best answer for, so I'm, I can't tell you that I 100% know. What I do know, though, is that he, haven't, he hasn't left this world on its own. Like Israel in Egypt, God hears our cries. And in a baby, in a manger, 2,000 years ago, he responded to our cries by tearing the heavens open and by entering our story. That in Jesus, God enters the story of darkness and poverty and oppression that he was born straight into. He entered the story of the darkness of wars and death, which he was born straight into. He entered the darkness of addiction and disease, which was around him everywhere that he went. He entered the darkness of marginalization and oppression and isolation and pain to make it right, yes. But more than that, he entered that story to be with us and through being with us to make it right. The good news today, friend, is that when you and I were far from God, when we were lost in darkness, both experiencing darkness and I want you to understand perpetuating darkness, when we were both the victims and we were the guilty oppressor when it comes to darkness, the king of light drew near. And as John wrote, a light would shine in darkness and darkness would not overcome that light. And in his return, he promises to forever rid the world of darkness. And so we wait. And while we wait, we cry out, if only. We cry out, come, Lord, quickly. 
If only you would tear the heavens open and come down to display your strength and to display your power. If only you could show the oppressors justice and make what's wrong right. And as we wait, we cry out. If only we cry out, come Lord, quickly. You cry, be with us. Here I am. I'll be honest, friend, I, I um, have this on a side note to what I'm saying here, but uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and run with it. You'll hear me say this a lot, especially in person, but I want to say it here so that we can all hear it together. Um, so many of us, we think about what it means for God to make things right in coming down. And the vision we have of God making things right is coming down and somehow making you better. That is the vision that a lot of us carry when it comes to God. We, we sit here and we say, okay, God, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we believe that he came into the world and he entered into that darkness in order to make you right. And so the majority of your life, the majority of your time, the majority of your Christian experience, the majority of your faith is, is, is locked in on a few different thoughts. What am I doing right and what am I doing wrong? And every moment of your life is plagued by these simple questions that seem to loom over you because the more you seem to walk toward Jesus, the worse you seem to feel about yourself because the closer you get to God, the worse you are at answering these questions. And all of a sudden, the question of how can I connect or be with God is intrinsically linked to how am I failing in this, this, and that area of my life. And when you hear me utter the words, he's come to make things right, you don't feel hope, you feel guilt. because you recognize your role in what's wrong. And I wanna make sure that I emphasize the truth that he came to be with you. The story of the Bible, I've said this probably multiple times up here and I will continue to say it again and again and again. It's not that God saw something break and become bad and now he's trying to make it righteous or moral again. It's that God made something that he deeply loves and through our sin, we were separated from him, but through the work of Jesus, he's done everything he can in order to rejoin his people. And so when we get to the end of the story, when we read the last chapters of Revelation, we don't read a story that ends with, and he was back and everybody was righteous and nothing was bad. But we read a story that ends and culminates with, and he was their God and they were his people. And through his presence, things are restored. We're not restored in order to get to his presence. We're in his presence in order to be restored. God does not look at you and wish to be around, not, wish to not be around you until you figure yourself out. God is not waiting for you to get it together in order for you to come to him. The God of the universe has torn open the heavens and entered the story so that while you were still in darkness and I was still in sin, he would be with us and through being with us and us being with him, he would make things right. That's the good news. That's the good news, but I wanna be, I wanna be honest about something else as well. If all you do is look at 
the world around you and point fingers to say, look at how that's bad or that's bad. And God has given me the responsibility to go out and to make this or this better. And you never take responsibility for some of the darkness in the world. Some of the darkness in your life was perpetuated not by the victims. You were not the victim of everybody being dark, but you being light. But the truth of the gospel is that while we were victims, we were also oppressors and agents and perpetuators of darkness. And while God has come to set oppressed people free, while he's come to be near those in darkness, he's also come with the mission of forgiving and redeeming oppressors to repentance and to turn from it and to make new what's around them. And so if you're sitting there and feeling guilty and the reality is you have participated in darkness, you're not, God's also not waiting for you to get it right. He's come to you. He sees you. He loves you. More than you know, he sees the darkness of your life. He sees the oppressiveness that you've participated in, the way you've hurt other people, the way you've damaged other people, and he has freely given himself to be with you, to redeem you, to restore you, to forgive you, to make you new. That's likewise the good news of this morning, that we have good news for the oppressed and the oppressor, and most days, most days, the oppressed and the oppressor is you. Most days you are not one or the other. Most days you are both. And the good news is we have a king who has come for both. That he sits, he sits in Matthew, the, the tax collector who is snuggled up to Rome next to Simon, the zealot who opposes Rome, sits him at the same table and says, now your family, except for in our lives, those two people are you. The individual who's overly righteous and judges others and makes them feel beneath or belittled or little or, or not enough is oftentimes us. And the person that fails and never lives up and always seems to get it right, never seems to get it right, I should say, is also us. It's the complexity of the human experience that I would look at those failing in faith and say, look at you. Like I want to cast a stone while I look in the mirror and wish I could throw the first stone at myself. It is a complex, weird experience. And yet it's exactly that dynamic that Jesus enters into to be with us in. To be with us in our guilt and to be with us in our suffering. What incredibly good news we have today. In the heavens being torn open and him coming. And so that's why we look at our sin. We look at our suffering. And, and like an echo of Isaiah, we say, if only, if only you would come. We, we want you even more. Help me feel and remember your presence. Help connect me to yourself. Come back. And come quickly, because if the change and the grace and the mercy that you've created in my life with, the grace and the mercy and the goodness that you're going to greet the entire world with at your return, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because all I don't see any middle grounds. I, I see in America, right, and I don't mean to, to get too personal, but know that I'm standing on the firm ground of neutrality, we, no matter how we do it, we see either a person that's failing in the mirror or we look out into the world and see a donkey and an elephant failing and it feels like there's no real way that we can get to success or renewal. If only you would come. 
If only you would come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's not all we do, though. I want to be very clear. That's not all we do. If, if the Lord creates for himself a group of people that walk around just flailing our arms and going, if only you would come, uh, it'd probably be a good witness in some ways. Like People would be like, oh, these dudes are really passionate about their God. Uh, it would also be really weird, really off-putting, and also not a lot would get done. And, and here's why it's not all we do. Because Jesus' return is not when darkness begins to be defeated. Jesus' return is when darkness finishes being defeated ultimately. I want you to hear what I said because you need to understand what I'm saying in order to understand your role and your place in the world. Jesus' return is not when darkness begins to be defeated. It's when darkness finishes being defeated ultimately. That's when it's done. Until then, our calling is to hold intention to ideas, if only, and be alert. If only, and be alert. What do I mean? Well, now let's look at Mark real quick, and then, and then we'll, we'll finish up here. Speaking about when he will return, Jesus says this. In Mark 13, 32 through 37, uh, Jesus says, Now concerning the day or hour, that's again of, of the return of the Son, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He starts in 33, watch, be alert, for if you don't know when the time, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. What I say to you, I say to everyone. I think that's, I gotta be honest, I think that's incredible. I think that statement, if I'm being honest, is absolutely incredible. Because can you, can you see him in that? Can you see his eyes? Can you see his gaze shift from who's in front of him? His disciples, these individuals that would change the world with his message. Can you see that gaze shift and transition from those incredible individuals that would endure suffering and endure tragedy and endure everything for the sake of the name of Jesus and see millions and millions and billions of people come to believe in his name and to see worlds around them change in terms of compassion and love and mercy? I'll spare you all the details, but there, is, there, is, there are individuals within the philosophical world that believe the world you live in, the world I live in, the sheer ability for us to say we want to support the weak individuals is not a result of human growth or human compassion, but it is the simple result of the world being introduced to the man who is enthroned in glory while somehow being hung on a cross. That without that message, without the connection of those two ideas, the world you live in would be the world that he lived in, which was the weak are lost, the weak are second, the strong are in, the strong get more, but praise be to God, he's come. 
Can you see, though, that his message, that incredible message that has not just changed lives, but truly has changed the world, can you see his message transition from them and like the protagonist in a movie breaking the fourth wall, gently shift his gaze from them to you? Be alert. Be alert. Be alert for what? Be alert that I will return. Be alert like a servant charged with the business of his master, that until he does return, there's work to do. The work of being with God, yes. Yes, you are called to grow your relationship with God. We are called to spend time with God. We are called to enjoy and to be with God. Yes, the work of being with God, but also the work that comes from being with God. There's work to do. And yes, that work starts with being with him, but it also is what comes from being with him. The work of seeing the despair of the world, the people around you, the sick and the hurting, and to bring love and restoration to them. That's the work that's in front of us. Be alert that there's work in front of us. Because here's the reality, friend. All of what I'm saying is anchored right now on this truth. That until the king returns, you are how he defeats darkness. Until the king returns, you are how he defeats darkness right now. That's the work that's in front of us. That's our responsibility. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. And while the Holy Spirit, whom you receive when you become a Christian, is at work defeating darkness in my life and in your life, your calling is to push back and defeat darkness in the world, in the communities, in the homes, in the, the people around you, to love them, to, to help them, to free and to, to try to bring aid to the oppressed and to try and correct and bring restoration and justice to oppressors, right? These are the realities that we live in. That's the work that's in front of us. Christ charged us as be alert, be alert. And don't just consume yourself with money and things and good times and sex and drugs and, and whatever else, be alert. Don't just consume yourself with honor and praise from people whose opinions will not matter the day you die or the day they die, be alert. Don't put your head in the sand and avoid the difficulty of what's truly happening around you in your life and in the world and communities around you. Be alert. And hear me, I'm not saying, and I never will say, that things like jobs and success and whatever else you're pursuing are bad. But when your life is defined by them, when your time is prioritized by them, when they are the clock at which you march on in your life, you undoubtedly are not alert to the realities of your life. You're not alert to the realities of the world around you. When it is the all-consuming aspect of a dollar, an opinion, or a feeling that seems to anchor everything in your life and drive you down the field, there is an inevitability, like we discussed last week, for you to miss what's truly happening. Whether that's in a spiritual way, or there's oftentimes in very practical ways. Like what's going on in the world right now? And we're like, bro, I don't know. 
It's like, well, what's going on in our communities? I don't know. It's like, well, we want to know something. Why? Because we want to be alert that there's work to do. So rather than consume ourselves with these things, our calling, again, is to hold intention to ideas, if only, and be alert. Do the work of being with him, but also do the work that comes from being with him, friend. Spend time with him. Enjoy him. But let that motivate you to bring who he is to the world, because until he returns, you are the way he's defeating darkness. You are. Simple you. A broken vessel that contains an incredible glory. You. You are. That's the Bible rings true about this over and over again. The Bible doesn't look at us and go, now he's made you perfect. Now that you're great, that's when you're sent out to do the work. No, the Bible repeatedly over and over again is like, bro, we're broken, but we have something glorious in us. Even when, when, when Paul is like, hey, you're like craftsmanship. You're the good work of God made for good works. That's like saying, bro, you're a masterpiece of his grace because only by God's grace could he take someone that has failed so many times and lead them into a story where they do so many beautiful things. That's our story. That's your story. That's our calling. If only he's come and he's promised to return. Praise God. But in the meantime, in the meantime, be alert. If only, but in the same time, at the same time, intention, be alert. Right now, until he returns, we're how he defeats darkness. And here's the thing. This story reminds me uh, a lot of, um, and I feel a little silly because this is like somewhere in between like nerd and super Christian, which I might be both those things, so it also makes sense. So um, it reminds me of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe just a little bit. I'm being honest. You don't know what the line of the witch in the wardrobe is. First off, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but if you don't know the line of the witch in the wardrobe, on a serious note, please get out. No, no, no. But okay, second time. Second time is enough. If you don't know it, it the line of the witch in the wardrobe is a story written by C.S. Lewis, and it's set against the airstrikes in London during World War II. And story, and and it's a story that follows. Uh, four siblings who move into a house with an individual known as the Professor, a mysterious uh, old man who lives in the countryside of England. And it's uh, in this story where they move into the house with the Professor. It's this huge, incredible house. But these are city kids. They're used to the bustling streets of London. And they're taken from the bustling streets of London uh, for the sake of safety and put into this incredibly giant house in the countryside where there's nothing to do. And of course, they try to have fun, but if they make too much noise, the housekeeper is like, hey, keep it down. Uh, they try to, to have fun and sneak out and be about, but it feels like they have so many constraints on them. And they start to realize slowly but surely, oh, man, I'm super bored. I'm super bored. They complain that there's nothing to do. They wish they could go back home. They long for something because it feels like stripped away from all of the excitement and all of their lives and left in the countryside of England in a giant house with an old man and his staff that there seems to be absolutely nothing to do. They're left in absolute boredom. And yet it's precisely through that boredom that they find a pathway to a world where they are kings and queens. 
where they wage war in battles that need to be won, where they conquer great enemies of good that need to be conquered, and where there is a great and good king over all of it who is there to guide them and to support them and to make them who they're meant to be, to follow and to love and to adore. It's precisely in that boring countryside, stripped away from all the other things that seem to be so important, that they find a pathway to who God's really made them to be, friend. And here's the thing, I'm not telling you to live in a fantasy world. I'm not telling you that. I am telling you. I think C.S. Lewis is telling you. And if I'm being honest, I think Christ is telling you. There's more to life than watching a show or owning material items or finding success or garnering praise or attention or financial gain. There is so, so, so much more to life than that because unlike Narnia, it is this world in which God desires us to take stewardship over the world and the communities and the people around us as though we are kings and queens to steward and to love and to guide that which is around us. It is in this world that there are spiritual wars that need to be fought, wars for the sake of our families and communities and people that we love and communities that we love. And it's our job to take those on and to, to serve in making those wars happen and in conquering the enemies and foes of God that seem to place themselves against us, but seem to place themselves against the communities and people that we love, that there are real foes and real wars, and we are truly stewards as kings and queens of the world around us. And more than that, there is truly a good king. There is truly a good king who is with us. There is truly a good king who is great and mighty and scary, but somehow still safe and tranquil and welcoming. And it is him who is with you. It's him who's with me to steward me, to guide me, to help me, to form me, to forgive me, to make me who he's made me to be. That that world is here. That world is now. It doesn't take place through being transported through a cupboard. It takes place by opening your eyes and realizing that there is more to this world than what everything around you wants you to believe. And when we understand that, when we just open our eyes to it for a split second, we're introduced to an incredible world that we could have never imagined, where you are so much more than you ever thought you were supposed to be, where you are now how the king of light, the king of the world, the king of the universe defeats his foes and sends you out as his military, more than that, as his children in representation of his kingdom to make a new what has been lost to make beautiful what has been ugly. That is your story, and that is my story. And that comes from understanding, oh, if you would only come, and then to realize he's come, and then from there to realize, be alert, because I've sent you into the world. That is where you are. That's where I am. The question is, are we going to do that or not? That's it. Are we going to do that or not? Because this good news, I want you to know, friend, it's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's for the sake of the world. You have been seen and loved and forgiven and restored and been shown mercy and been shown kindness, not just for your sake. It is for your sake because he loves you. 
And he chose you, and he'll choose you every day again and again and again. Praise be to God. But he's also chose your neighbor. He's also chosen your family. He's also chosen your children. He's also chosen your spouse. He's also chosen uh, in your coworkers. He's also chosen fellow students. He's chosen them. He loves them. He sees them. He desires to be with them and through his presence to make what's wrong in the world right. And the, the, the incredible beauty is that he sent you to do it. Like kids entering an alternative story through a, what is it called, a wardrobe. I called it a cupboard, and it literally wardrobe is in the title, my bad. Um, unlike four kids walking into that world through uh, a wardrobe, we are invited to walk into that story through turning our hearts and saying, you are the king. I will align my life with you. Here I am, send me. To recognize and feeling the weight of what's wrong in the world around us, inviting him to return, but also being alert until he does. That's what that looks like. And that's all I got to say. Um, application point. I have one application point. That's it. Psych, it's three application points in one. <laughs> <laughs> application point is simply this. Connect, grow, serve. <laughs> I, love that. I love that the Kool-Aid man showed up here today. Um, it's connect, grow, serve. What I mean by that is this, that we literally started this church in this community rooted in this idea, that God has come to bring deliverance and restoration and what he desperately desires in a community like this, where I want you to understand, listen to me, this is nuts. 70, close to 70,000 people call the 78744 area code home. 70,000, that's a lot of people. I want you to grab something with me. We're the only church plant in this entire community. I want you to grasp that with me. There are places in Austin that are quote unquote cooler than this. They got like 30,000 people living in them. There's like 17 different church plants in that area. I promise you. We're the only one here at the moment. I pray that there's more to come. I pray that there's some functioning right now that I just don't know about. I would love that. But we explicitly started this church plant in response to this idea that God has come to bring restoration and, and, and um, redemption into communities where he desires to bring healing and, and wholeness by forgiving those who are oppressors, but likewise restoring those who are oppressed. And that's why we're here. That's the function of our church in general. That's why, I mean, in next week, I want to say, uh, is when this Christmas merry memory thing is. That's why we're asking you all to go be involved in that. That's why we're, we, we serve regularly with a local food bank. We, it's why we're starting a family ministry dedicated to helping provide support structure and improvement to individuals in, in family context that need it, right? It's precisely why our long-term vision is to start a nonprofit organization that specifically cares for the needs of this community. It's why me and Lex go, and ooh, I can't be saying that. It's why me and Lex go to this incredible meeting uh, every once every Thursday, or, or no, once a month on Thursday, where we just discuss like community needs and how we can serve this community and how we can be a part of solutions for this community. That's the explicit reason we do all those things. And specifically when we think about what it means for you to be a part of this church, 
you'll see these words put up on that giant sign, one sign out there, and if you go to our website, you'll see them as the three major sections that we have on the website. And that's because we deeply believe that this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be in this place where we ask him if only you would come while being alert, that your life would be spent in these three ways, would serve the community around you, but it would connect you to God and it would reconcile you to yourself and to others, right? This is what our vision of discipleship is. And so it seems like three words with three periods, but I'm telling you that there are three rhythms that if you would just nestle into this, right, that if you would connect with God, if you would believe that God is a person, he has a presence, and he longs to be with you, that presence is necessary for human flourishing, and you would actually take time to be with him, not to read about him, not to sing about him, but to be with him, that you would experience his presence, and his presence would lead you to reconciliation with the people around you, which is why we call it grow with family, and lead you into the world around you, which is why we call it serve the city. And so it starts with connecting and being with and being intimate with God, and then from there goes into growing with family and serving the city. And starting in the new year, you're going to see us, I mean, obnoxiously put this out there. It is going to be obnoxious. You're going to look at me and be like, dude, shut up already, dude. But uh, it's going to be out there so much. We're currently developing weekly, monthly, and yearly rhythms to this idea to say how can we weekly connect with God, monthly connect with God, yearly connect with God. Corporately, and then we're going to try to bring it to you to empower you individually. How can we weekly grow with family, monthly grow with family, yearly grow with family? How can we weekly serve the city, monthly serve the city, annually serve the city, these are all the visions that we have are, are a little bit wrapped up in just saying, how can we participate in this? And I think that you participating in that actually puts you in a position to realize, to look out at the world around you and say, Lord, please come. If only you would come. But also to be alert. To hold in tension these, these ideas that point us to the reality that you are how God, until he returns, until the king of light returns, you are how he defeats darkness right now. You are. I am. I want us to live in that. If you're a part of this church, I want that to be your calling. I want us to live that out together. And if we're able to do that, whatever it's going to look like, if it's going to community group, if it's attending church on Sunday, I think it is no less than those things. It can definitely be more. If it's serving at this uh, Merry Memories event, if it's getting involved in the family advocacy ministry, whatever it looks like, whatever you have time for, please be alert. Hold the tension of if only and be alert. If we can do that well, if we can live in this and cultivate that, and I think you'll look back at your life and realize, I died well, but I lived well. I died well, but I lived well too. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the mercy of your son, the kindness that we experience in him, the grace uh, that is in his name. Thank you that all of that comes from you, uh, that, that you are the Father, uh, the maker of all things. Uh, thank you for your spirit that indwells and, and brings beauty uh, from what is tragic and ugly. Thank you for purpose. Thank you for calling. Uh, thank you for failures that are made into beautiful examples of grace and struggles that in your hands are brought into uh, something that, that can be restored and redeemed and beautiful, those things only happen uh, in your hands. I think that you're at work in those things. And thank you that you've not called us to be observers uh, of those beautiful moments, but you've called us to be participators. 
You've called us to be agents of bringing the truth of your mercy, your grace, and your goodness into the world. Thank you, King, that you will return. Thank you that the King of light, that there is a light in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, O King of light. Thank you that you have placed that light in the world, uh, in the darkness of the world, through us broken vessels. Thank you for the mercy of that calling. Help us to serve you well, to love you well, and through loving you well, um, to be reconciled to the world around us and to be sent out to do your business, to recognize that there's work to do, but to recognize that that work comes and starts from being with you. It starts from being with you, and then we work from you. Thank you, Father. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.